turn the stuff off because it brings anxiety. And when I look at what's going on, I get a lot of anxiety. It is amazing to hear some of the stories of what are happening all over the place. I mean, it's just atrocious. Um, listening to Michael Medved one day on the radio, uh, he just uh, was reporting one of the stories of Hamas when they came into the house and there's a family eating breakfast and they gouge out the father's eyes and then they did stuff to the, uh, mutilated the mother in front of the children and then they turn around and they kill the son and they do it all in front of the family and stuff and everything inside me, it just gets so angry. I want to go drop the bomb on them. Yeah, bring in the military, let's go. And then Hamas, they hide underneath the hospitals because they know that's going to cause a problem for us. And then we got Netanyahu, you know, saying we're going to do this. And then our news tells us that America is like really pushing them to give a break and cease fire for a while so we could get humanitarian aid in there. There's hostages. There's all these different things going on. And where are you guys going? And, <laughs> okay. and all these things are going on. This is the ADD. All these things are going on and I, I get angry inside and I want to see it taken care of. I want to see the evil judged. And I put hope in things like our military and the intelligence that we have. And then I go and I talk uh, with a retired uh, uh, full colonel from uh, uh, the Army and he was a Green Beret. This is a few weeks ago. And this is before uh, October 7th. So um, I was asking him about Ukraine. Hey, what's your opinion? You know, these things going on and stuff like that. And, and I, I was really hoping for some wonderful insight. Some, oh yeah, don't worry. We know all this stuff that's going on. This is, you know, it's right. We'll keep pouring into Ukraine. We're going to go in there. We're going to do X, Y, and Z, blah, 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 blah. And he tells me two really disheartening stories. <laughs> he tells me, you know, in the early 90s, I, I, when I was a major, I got to drive uh, Senator McCain and then another high-ranking uh, at that, yeah, Senator McCain, and then there was another high-ranking uh, senator in the car, and I was going to be in the car with him for about 45 minutes, and so I was really looking forward to his time at Desert Storm, what they're going to be talking about about it. You know, his heart, he's hoping like he's going to hear their hearts behind it, that it's going to be good, blah, 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 X, Y, and Z. And he said, all they talked about for that 45 minutes was how much money they were going to make off of oil. That's not a dig at Republic. I'm not here to say this or that. I'm telling you what he said. Now, that's the only time he had with him. If you were to look and spend time with me only for 10 minutes, you would have a view, you know, that might be right or might be wrong and, you know, but that that was his that was that was an experience he had. Um another thing that he told me uh with the war in Ukraine is he talked about their government a little bit here and there and he says, you know, I I, I was uh just a couple years ago, we we're at a meeting, there's all these generals of the world all around here, he's a, he's a full colonel, and he says, you know, tell me so-and-so, what do you need? I'll have it out there for you, no problem, we're at war. And they said, okay, no problem, just make sure that when you give us these things, um, that we don't do it in between this month and this month, right in here, because that's when we go on vacation. 
And the colonel took his pen and he said he set it right down on his notebook right there and he sat back and he crossed his arms and he realized this is stupid. This is just politics. And most everyone in here knows what I do for a job and then work with the government and law enforcement. And I do drugs. Don't do drugs. I go after people that do drugs. And so I see a lot of disheartening stuff with that. Our border. China. Mexico. And how all these drugs are getting poured in here. There would be a little bit of hope that I had inside with some of this anxiety if I thought, okay, I know those places are all messed up, but at least we got it together. And if we take out some of these guys, it's going to go through a wonderfully well-working court system and we're going to see some justice and it's going to help everything out. We see little bits of hope here and there. That's true. But I also know about different corruption. I had a meeting, uh, I had a lunch with a chief the other day who's not from here, that everyone in here would probably know if they watched the news. And he, and I talked about some of my my frustrations with different things and he talked and he gave me some of his background and stuff and he was in narcs too and stuff. He told me how they seized this yacht from the cartel and everything. It was really cool. But um, I, I said, I, I know there's corruption uh, everywhere probably in the world, it, it, all over the United States. It's, it's, you know, it's common. And he says, yeah, but I think there's probably a little bit more in Humboldt County. I remember driving around with a guy that's affiliated with a cartel up here a couple of years ago, he, I'm flipping him for as an informant, and he tells me, Alan, <laughs> we go outside of the neighboring counties to come into Humboldt County to do, to do our business because we don't have the infrastructure here in, in Humboldt County to deal with it. It's all true. It's very frustrating. So I've been a Christian since I was seven years old. How do I handle this anxiety? What does God want us to do? Is, is it best to just wipe out a whole nation so that we can implement what we think is best? I mean, Ted just did the thing with Bill Cosby where he's like, everything got man-made, oh, that was really cool, but then it died. Everything God made was good, and it lasted forever. Question is, do we really believe what we say we believe? Do we have the real truth? Do we really know Jesus? I don't act like I do a lot. I get angry, and I just. I know there's a lot of innocent people that are going to die there to send that bomb. Just go. I am not saying it... it just, let, let me be clear. I am not saying it is wrong to pray for our military to go and win. I'm not saying that. I don't think God is telling us to say that. I think God is telling us to know Him and to first count on Him and to first seek His heart 
and to have the same heart as Jesus and to love the people that are there, whether they're enemies or whether they are our allies, and pray. And pray that God moves in our hearts to know where to pray, to know what to do, to know what to support, because only He knows. Because only He is going to bring about good and salvation. What does the Bible say then? So what's, what's the answer? Having God's heart in hard times. In Psalm 67, if you want to go there, I think we see God's ultimate hope, ultimate plan for the world. And it's relevant to every single conflict that we're having. If we're looking at the conflict in the, in the world, in the grand scheme of things, or we bring it down to our nation and then down to our own community or into our own lives that we have at home, this is God's goal. Psalm 67. I'm just going to read uh, verses 1 through 3 and then the first part of 4 and we'll end with the last part of 4 later. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. When it says peoples there, it's ethne. It is all ethne, all peoples. So we're looking in the Old Testament when God has His chosen people, Israel, the nation of Israel, and we still see the psalmist David as he's writing here that God's heart isn't just for the ethnic group of Israel. It is for all peoples. Let all nations be glad. Well, how? How, how, God, are you bringing together all peoples for your glory and giving them joy for you? All I see is evil all around. How, how, do I, how am I supposed to react to this in my job? How am I supposed to keep my sanity? How, how is my anxiety supposed to function in all of this? That's your goal. I believe you're in control, God. What do I do? Let's go to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. So, at the beginning... God wants us to deal with all of these things with the renewal of our mind. We need to have a right mindset. We need to think, what does God think? What does God feel? How does God want us to react to all this? How does God want us to react to our enemies? It says 
Romans 12.1 I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So first off, we are presenting our bodies as a sacrifice. That's our worship to God. God, I love you. God, I believe you. And everything that you do, take me. I'm going to lay it at, at your feet. I'm going to trust you to help me to know everything. That's worship. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the first step that we need to do, I believe, in, in, with this situation is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice and then He will transform our minds to let us know what His will is, which is pleasing and acceptable to Him. Then I want to skip over to verse 9 and I'm going to read uh, to the end of the chapter. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Okay, so, so we are to hate. We're to abhor the evil. There's some Christians that if they don't know their Bible, they will say, hate. That's not a good thing to hate. No, we're supposed to hate evil. Love be genuine. In order for it to be genuine, we hate what is evil. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Have you ever seen God's grace working in the middle of calamity? I have 
in in my experience at work, seen, I mean, comparably to what other people are seeing in war and stuff like this, nothing. But I've seen a lot of evil. I've cut down bodies that are hanging. Um, I've seen parts of bodies all over the place. I've seen kids go through certain things. Um, I've taken crazy people in the back of a patrol car to Sempervirens, and when my heart does not care for them, I decide I want to engage with them in conversation and follow their insanity wherever it goes. And in sense, in a sense, I I don't care about them. I'm making fun of them, and I joke around with them, and I just wish they would go away. Other times, I've encountered people, and for whatever reason, God moves in a moment, and a word might be planted, and I've had someone that I don't even remember who they were come up later and tell me how they know Jesus. And they've been doing well for a period of time. And their life has been changed. Those incidences are seem to me fewer when I see those kinds of victories, but seeds are actually planted in those times of, of craziness. I've used this book before um, when I preached. It's called The Insanity of God. Um, Nick Ripkin is the author. And so what Nick Ripkin did is uh, he went to Somalia in the early 90s. And if anyone knows anything about Somalia in the early 90s, our military was there for, pre- uh, for humanitarian needs. There's always a war going on in there. There's religious war happening. Nick Ripkin talks about when he went in there, um, there was people like uh, running up to the side of his car with their babies, trying to give him their babies, not because they didn't want the babies, but because there was no food for the, the babies to eat and they're malnourished and they're going to die and they're just looking for hope. Um, they were there with humanitarian uh, to help with humanitarian needs and he was there to spread the gospel um, before there was military help. And um, he talked about times where he actually went into the presence of the leader of the guerrillas and vouched for somebody else knowing that his head could be cut off in that situation. And he just talked about horrible thing after horrible thing that that was happening all around him. And all the while he was there because he wanted to see the gospel spread. After a while of being there... um, he eventually lost his son to, uh, I think it was pneumonia, and 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 they they left and um, they they had also uh, because of all the work that they were doing there and letters that they had written. Finally, our government started sending over aid and military help and stuff. And later on, then the military ended up backing out, and he just felt like a complete failure. And he started going all over the world to different places where there was a persecuted church, so uh, Russia to Romania to China to all these different places to talk to people that were part of the persecuted church to to get some sort of insight. Like, where did I go wrong? What did I do wrong? And in in his book, as he tells all these different stories, he puts in different questions, different things that he's struggling with that he's asking himself. 
I'm hoping I get some of these in the right order here. And I'm just going to go through some of his struggles, some of his thoughts, some of his mindset. Now in a safe place and surrounded by loving people, I force myself to deal with the questions. Can God truly overcome evil? Is love really more powerful than hate? How can a person maintain even a small hope in a dark place? How is it possible for faith to survive in an insane environment like Somalia? How can someone live the abundant, victorious life that Jesus promised in our world's hardest places? Can Christianity work outside a Western, dressed-up, well-ordained nation? If so, how? Was the good news of the Gospel powerful enough to overcome the forces of evil in our world's darkest places? And if it was, why had we seen so much crucifixion in Somalia and experienced so little of the resurrection? Sometimes the questions would be difficult to answer. Why go around the world to share Jesus when there are so many lost people here? Why risk your life? Waste your time, invest your energies, or expand so many personal and kingdom resources to try to change the minds and hearts of people who don't want to change and don't even think they need to change. Those of us who have grown comfortable with the teachings of Christ have allowed His teachings to lose their edge. So much of what Jesus taught makes no sense from a human perspective. Love your enemies. If you want to be great, first learn to be a servant. If someone smacks you across the face, turn your head and let them slap you on the other side. If someone steals your coat, offer him your shirt as well. If you want to live, you need to first die to yourself. This complete list of Jesus' crazy sounding teachings is a lot longer than that. To me, the most startling thing Jesus ever said was when He assigned His followers the task of going out in pairs to share His good news with lost people. He said that He was sending them as sheep among wolves. Still, He expected them to prevail. In the history of the world, no sheep has ever won a fight with a wolf. The very idea is insane. I think it's scary. Um, uh, also, along with my line of work, yeah, I work with these guys that I call like double A and triple A personalities. They're really annoying to be around, actually, uh, often. But when I go to these swap parties and barbecues and different things, and they're all trying to see who's the king of the hill and stuff like that gets old after a while. But... Um, they are the mindset in the training is always we're going to win 
we're going to be the sheepdog. We're going to take out the enemy. And we're going to win. And yet, the way Jesus tells us to win is not necessarily the same way that I'm being trained and stuff to fight. There is a place for that good. God uses some of those powers and different things for good. I've always talked about, and I say it a lot, but with Sodom and Gomorrah in this time, uh, you know, and they're pleading, please spare them. If there was ten people, <laughs> spare them. God can choose to spare a nation. But there's times where God says, I know that I have religious people that love me there, but I am going to allow another nation that's not of me to overturn that nation to bring those people back. And that means suffering and pain. And so when I look and I know how God does things in the Bible, I get scared. Because I know that it doesn't matter if I'm in America with the biggest, well, I don't even know if we have the biggest nuclear arsenal anymore, but with the big military might that we have, I know we're supposed to be number one in the world. Look at the craziness of where we're going in the world. We can't agree on anything. It almost seems like we're going to self-destruct within. Literally, nothing has control. Nothing can control everything. Nothing is going to bring about freedom except for Jesus. And I don't want to go through the suffering. And I'm sitting there saying, God, would you please... Yeah, okay, just... I know that you bring about goodness through suffering. I, I know that you're in control of these things. I just don't want to be in America when you allow Babylon to come in. A, or maybe we're Babylon. I don't know. Psalm 67, which we started with, where we talk about Jesus saying... Let the nations be glad. I want all peoples to come to know me. They're going to praise me. They're going to glorify my name. In verse 4, it says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you. Talking about God. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. God is going to be the one to judge the nations. That's our hope. Our hope isn't in our military. Our hope isn't in... Uh, Democrat or Republicans, yes, I'm going to vote where I believe the right way to vote is. I'm hoping that our military will go and find Hamas and take them down. But at the same time, Jesus says, love your enemies. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. How many times have we thought that the person that would never become a Christian became a Christian? You don't know. I don't know. God knows. I have heard that the church in Iran is flourishing. I have heard that home churches and the spread of the gospel is growing like with leaps and bounds. We had COVID at our church before it was full. Now look how many people we have here. And we could blame it on masks. We could blame it on this. We could blame it on that. But when I hear things like that, I'm like, I want that. 
I want a church. That, and then I think at the same time, when I hear everything that's going on over there and all the craziness of the world, I'm like, drop the bomb on Iran. Take them out. Let's start it over. That's Alan talking. He's so frustrated. Jesus is in control. Jesus is going to have vengeance. Not one child that is His will die and go to hell. All that are His are going to be with Him. We put our hope in that. Vengeance is mine, I will pay, I will repay, says the Lord. Our instructions are to trust Him, to lay our bodies down as a living, as a living sacrifice, to have our minds changed by Him, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. To live in harmony with one another. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. If possible. I don't know the right answers for some of these different things when it comes to government stuff or whatever. But I know that God does. And I just know that His heart, first and foremost, is salvation. And so my heart behind this message when I was trying to put it together, when I was thinking, was is what is, what is Jesus' main root of His desire? And that is for us to know Him and see Him for who He is. All ethnic. All peoples, not just America, here first, everywhere around the world. And he says, go out into all the world making disciples of all nations. And so what I think is glorifying to God and what I think is accurate with the Bible is to try hard to pray for our enemies in other nations. Pray for Hamas's salvation. Pray for salvation of the Jewish people over there and those that are hurting. To pray for our government and those that are for abortion. Drive me nuts. And God will move them out of office or God will allow them to stay there. Does he know what's best? Um, coming to close. Um, Luke. Let's go to Luke um, nineteen forty one. Luke 19, um, verse 41. So, what's going on here? Jesus 
is coming to Jerusalem. This, this section right here we're about to read is right after the triumphal entry. So Jesus is coming in on the donkey. It was a Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest are worshiping the Savior that is coming in. And then we have this right after it. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He's going into the city of the people that hate him. The ones that are rejecting him. His own people. And he looks at the city and he doesn't say, fire down on you. Boom. Right now. Judgment. Now. He looks at Jerusalem and he weeps. And he says, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. She's talking to the reference we believe is AD 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed and surrounded by Rome. His heart was peace. His hope was peace by knowing Him. And then he went in there, and it says, for joy, he placed himself on the cross. I don't want to suffer. I want to suffer for Jesus in the sense that I want to be a true soldier to Jesus. I want to be his servant, and I want to make it through. But I am afraid because I am a wimp when it comes to pain. And I don't know what kind of suffering that will look like. But I know that Jesus always sustains us through hard times. And He chooses to move through suffering because it magnifies His strength and power. Through our weakness, He is strong. Immediately when I saw that there was a need for a sermon this morning, Grant's voice went in my mind. Let the Spirit talk through you. I'm afraid. And it's interesting that it's coming from a man who's in constant pain. And yet he continues to put his faith and perseverance in because Jesus gives it to him. The only way there's victory in this world is Jesus. And so, as we turn on the news, I, I, I think, yeah, there's times where we turn it off because we get too sucked into it and all our time spent on that. That's where anxiety goes because we're worried. Because We need to know what's going on in the world. We need to hear these different things, but then we need to come before the Lord. God, how do I pray? God, how do I care about this situation? How do I vote? 
How do I make an influence? I'm so confused in my job. All of us have... I, I talked about my own experiences in my own anxiety and frustration within my own work, but it's no different for everyone else in all of your work. We all have it in different ways. And so, let's trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding and have a heart that weeps for the lost first. Alright. We're going to take communion now. And um, Ted, are you coming up to do that that song? And then we'll do communion together. you come forward you have the communion cups with the bread on the bottom cup, the juice on top or the pre-made packets that have been purchased you grab those while we sing hold on to them to partake of together in unison
crucial to remember that our all-powerful God is able to work with or without us. That our all-knowing God is not blind to the evil in His world. And that our ever-present God is there whether we are or not. Once we find out what God is already doing to show Himself, all we have to do is point others to Him. It's good words. And it's also just amazing that God for joy put Himself on the cross for us. And He wants us to remember that. He wants us to remember that His suffering. He suffered for us so that we would be saved. So that we would have forgiveness. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I think it's great hope to remember that it's through His blood that we're forgiven. And it's good to remember at the, at the end of a, a message like this that you're forgiven. I'm forgiven. I have so many skeletons in my closet that Satan wants me to go back and keep remembering that you're forgiven. Go before the Lord. He uses our prayers And He speaks to us. And He gives us power because of His forgiveness. Amen. Finishing my sermon or song.